Hey, can Jesus speak to a child? When you were a child, did he speak to you? He did. I'm thinking about um, Samuel. Uh, Remember the story about Samuel? Remember uh, Hannah prayed for a son, and she said if God would give her that son, that she would give him back to him, and she dedicated him back to the Lord. And I can't remember his age, but it must have been six, seven, eight, somewhere around there. Um, he had been weaned, and they sent him back, and he became a priest under Eli. Can you imagine doing that that early in life? You were right, Sessie. There's thing, God can touch our children. Sometimes we think he can't because they're so wound up in what's going on in the world around them. But he can. God can cut through all the clutter and come back to a place where he, he can touch them and, and give them a thought. It's, it's all thought anyway, isn't it? When you stop and think about it. I'm thinking about Josiah. Became king at eight years old. Can you imagine trying to rule a nation at age eight? Well, I know he had tutors and governors had to during that time. But the thing that was in his heart was that he wanted to change everything that had gone wrong. He said, cut down the groves, all those old things that you worshiped as idols and so forth. Find me the priests that know what those things are saying in the temple. You know, Bring me all the, the, the files, all the stuff that are there. Let me read it. Let me understand. Okay, how come we're not doing this? How come we're not doing this? He got all the priests together. He, got, he said, come on, let's do this right. Let's fix up the temple again the way we, at eight years old, he had to start off with somebody impressing him in the things of God. That's the thing. And uh, such a powerful thing to know that God can speak to children. Uh, we call them children, but do they have a soul? You know where God communicates with is the thoughts of the mind and the soul. The soul is what has to be regenerated. That's what we hope. That's going to be regenerated is your soul. But he can speak to them. Um, this is Resurrection Sunday, they call it, don't they? I'm glad that man set a, a, a day aside where we talk about the resurrection of Christ. Even though not all may be, you know, involved in it, it doesn't stop that the resurrection happened. That's the key. There's some people don't even believe in that. There was a group of people called Sadducees in the Bible when, and they didn't believe it. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And I know you heard Brian say that little joke thing. And so he said, uh, he said, didn't believe in the resurrection, so that's why they're sad, you see. <laughs> they are sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. And so they are sad, you sees, you know. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. But uh, here's the thing that's important to us right now. The resurrection, we're talking about a resurrection of Christ, the one that we honor and worship is Christ, right? So in this resurrection, it had to be real. It had to be something that, uh, what's the word, has to be proven in some way, okay? Now, the scripture talks about many infallible proofs during that time of the 40 days until that he was with them. And then 10 days later, you know, he sent him to uh, uh, Jerusalem to wait for the day of Pentecost, which would have been the 50th day. But during those 40 days, he appeared to many, appeared to Peter, appeared to James, uh, appeared to 500 brethren, you know, above, at once. Of course, all of those that, that the disciples, when they were in the house eating, 
First time uh, Thomas wasn't there, remember? And then the second time Thomas was there, uh, you know, all of those things. Many infallible proofs. But I want you to think about another one. Standing outside of Jerusalem on a big hill, and Jesus is speaking his last words to them, and they're looking at him, and then he ascends in front of them. Can you imagine that? All of a sudden, he starts ascending toward heaven, and they just watch him all the way up until he disappears. And then two angels talk to him and say, hey, why stand you here gazing? This same Jesus that was taken away from you is going to come back in like manner, and you'll be witnesses of it. I think they talked about witnesses in Chicago this morning. Very important to have a witness. I think Ernest preached not too long ago that the wit- we have a witness within ourselves. You know what that is. That's, that's the anointing that it talks about in John 2.27, 1 John. We have the witness within us. It's a matter of whether you acknowledge it and want to go forth in it and believe that God has already placed it there. It's in you. You just have to access it through all the darkness that may be surrounding you. You know what I mean? Cut through the darkness. And you don't have to even do that alone. Remember, it talks about judge not anything before the time. But God is going to shine a light on those hidden things of darkness. So he's going to be there with you. He's going to shine the light on it. That's going to be what's so powerful about it. He will magnify it and let you understand that this is what's causing you a problem because what's it shining on? The darkness. He's going to show you what the problem is. That's the problem right there. And he'll register that with you in your mind. Some of us worry about whether or not we feel like we're weak or whether we understand or don't understand or whether our life is ever going to be good or so many things that may be going on in your life right now that may be hard. You know, that might be hard in trying to accomplish them and whatever. Hey, let me let you in on a little secret. That's life. Life is going to be like that. But the thing is, you need something outside of the outward that everybody concentrates so much on. You need something inward. And you have to have an inward belief in Christ that God is real and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. There's a thought that came to my mind this morning. Can God resurrect you from pride? Can he resurrect you from wrath? Anger, hatred. Mm-hmm. Can he resurrect you from that? Because he resurrects you from lust. Can he actually make a new life and pull you out of lust and bring something forth that has life in it? Yes. Can God resurrect you from, from adultery? We know what adultery really is, right? It's when you become one with something that's not God. You're committing adultery against God. We worry so much about what they call it here, but the adultery that God worries about the most, he doesn't worry. The one he tells us about that we need to take uh, an understanding to is that I don't want you to have any other gods before me. I don't want you to worship anything else. I want you to worship me, love me. If you do something outside of that, you're committing adultery. Remember Jesus said that to the, in a roundabout way to the Pharisees. And what happened, they said, well, we, we're married. We never, you know, committed fornication. We've never done this and that. And Jesus said, no, I beg to differ. Yes, you have. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, you've committed some. You didn't worship the true God. What you worship is a God of knowledge that you can hold up in a training that you follow certain traditions and that that's what God is. But here's the thing that's important about it. Did the Pharisees ever uh, uh, perform a miracle? They knew God so much, remember? They knew him so much, but did they ever perform a miracle? No. Did they see him perform it? Yes. 
And then what did they do? Did they rejoice at the miracle that had been performed? What did they say? Complaint. But there's something great they said that was. Wanted to kill him. They said what he did was of the, of the devil. Oh, wait a minute. So the devil's going to work against the devil to perform a miracle. That doesn't make sense. A house divided against itself does not stand. It's not going to work that way. The devil wouldn't interfere like that to heal somebody and give them life. You know, and we understand that the healing is not of the physical body. Everybody takes that. So, so what he healed with them was something spiritual, huh? If they were lame or blind or halter or something, whatever it was. It's a spiritual impediment to knowing God. That's what it was. And he would heal that. If they were blind, now they can see the things of God. If they were deaf, now we can hear the word of God and rejoice at hearing it. You see what I mean? So all those things that were taken care of, God did something very important for them. Healing for the soul, the sin-sick soul. Why would you be lame or blind or deaf or anything in the first place? The soul is the thing that's been taken. It's unregenerated. So you can't hear. Jesus said that. He said, they're going to have eyes to see, can't see, ears to hear, won't hear, and a heart that needs to be converted, but they won't allow it to be converted. Didn't he say that? So he's telling you that the healing that's going to take place is going to be in the sin-sick soul. When they call for the elders to anoint with oil and, and uh, whatever and pray the prayer for the sick, do you not realize that that oil is the wisdom of God at the time? That they lay the hands on you. They speak the things of the wisdom of God. And as they speak those things, the thing that's causing you to be sick is overcome because the truth has come. That's why I say call the elders of the church. Sometimes it's not quick. Sometimes we have to counsel you for weeks and months and whatever. But you know what our mind is like? We're going to get this thing. We're going to overcome it. We're going to overcome it. We're going to pray. We're going to allow God to set his power in the midst of us, and we will overcome this thing. So if you notice when you go read that, it says, and if he's committed any sin, let it be forgiven him. Wait a minute. I thought we were praying for the regular body. I thought that's where, is that what we were praying for? No. Go back and read again the fifth chapter of James. What it's talking about is, is that those things that hinder us, including sin, can be overcome. So if he's committed any sin, let us anoint him with oil, the spiritual wisdom from above, and let's lay hands on him. And guess what? Help him to receive that thing, help him overcome what's causing him a problem. Help him to be healed. Does that make sense? Is God healing us? God's healing a lot of us. He's healing me. He's healing me in my soul, inwardly, as the new man. He's healing me. He's taking care of things that need to be taken care of. People say, well, there's a lot of stuff in this world we have to contend with. True. Didn't he have to contend with it too? (laughs) Did he? He did, didn't he? Had to contend with all of it, right? So what's he saying? He's saying that if you believe in me, I will help you overcome those things. And whatever we have to contend with, we'll do it and we'll overcome it together. You're not going to be alone. We'll do it together. So resurrection from hatred, from pride, uh-huh. from offense. Can you be resurrected from offense? Oh, yeah, you can. You can be resurrected from these things. Can you be resurrected from being a, a blasphemer? Remember Paul gave those two people over because they were blasphemers? He said, I'm going to give them over to Satan to help them to learn. The ultimate goal was to learn and then receive them again after they learn about what was going to happen to them for doing the things that they were doing. They have to believe. 
And, and so, you know, the apostle knew when to turn him over to Satan and when not to. People say, that didn't happen in the Bible. Yes, it did. It happened to Paul himself. Didn't it happen to him? So I gave him a messenger of Satan to buffet him in the flesh. Don't we ever think about those things? Is God wise that he can use evil and good to bring a, a result or a perfect end? What about doing the perfect will of God? Can we do the perfect will of God? That's what we're striving for, right? Now, let me tell you something about will. Have you ever heard the thought of a partial will? What would that mean to you if I told you that sometimes we exercise a partial will? <laughs> You're not done. There's more to come. And you haven't given all to Jesus yet. Because part of the will is working. You'll do certain things. But the other part is left undone. Why? Why is it impartiality? The goal should be, what have we been talking about? Have we been talking about zeal? The hunger for the Lord. The appetite for the Lord. Wanting to do his will. Jesus said it that way when he cleaned out the temple. Thy zeal hath eaten me up. I, I don't want anything like this in the temple of God. So who's the temple of God? We are. So he doesn't want that like anything like that in us. When he drove those things out of the temple, he was telling you the wicked will be driven away out of your temple. That's what he was telling you. The wicked can be driven away out of your temple, but it's going to take who to do it? It's going to take Jesus to do it. So you work along with him. You'll see him drive him out of your temple. He will. He'll drive him out. And he'll put you on the throne, the seat in that temple. He'll put you on it. But this is what God needs. So we can't have a partial will toward God. And a lot of us have that. We have a partial will because I'll go so far and I'll do this, but I won't do any more. That's not going to work, huh? But that's what happens right now. We give so much to Jesus and we get to a point. Why not all? Why not everything? What is it that holds us back from giving everything? There's something we're comfortable with in the world. That's what it is. There's something that we rely on and find comfort in or something that we've taken measure with in tradition that continues to revolve in that tradition over and over again. Well, this is the way I've always thought about it. This is the way I've always done it. But does that make it right? <laughs> this is the key. Let me take you to something that's a very familiar scripture. I want you to think about this for a minute. Man, it's very mindful too. So, starts off in Romans chapter 12, and it says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So, Paul's writing to the Romans, right? Some people say he didn't write to them. I say he did. But he wrote to the Romans, okay? And he's saying, I beseech you, brethren. I'm begging you. To be, I'm begging you to do something here. By the mercies of God. While there's time, why God is having mercy on you. While he is doing what? His grace is present. All those things. While there's time to do it, God has mercy on you. Those mercies are coming forth now. So what does that mean? What do we say when God's having mercy on us? What does that actually mean? Is he giving us time to repent? Is he giving us an opportunity to change things from the way we've been doing them so long? So by the mercies of God. So God has much mercy. But I'm going to tell you, there's going to come a time where the mercy is not extended. How do I know that? Well, go to that city and destroy it utterly. I had mercy for a while, but they, there was something that they could not do. 
they could not accomplish. Or think about this, Korah coming before Moses. <laughs> and God speaks to us too. That's what he said, huh? And, and so there was a challenge between the leadership of Moses and Korah. And Moses didn't argue with him about it. He said, what we're going to do, we're going to let God decide. I'll step back and, and we'll let God decide. Let God answer how this thing is going to work. Yeah, you do have a certain position in God, but so do I as the leader of God's people. But I'm not going to try and defend my position. What I'm going to do is let God answer it because he had that much faith in him. And he had a relationship with God. So what happens? What do we see? Does the ground open up and swallow them all up? Yes, it does. So had they done a partial will? Oh, he was a captain over his thousands, wasn't he? So he had done a partial will, but he hadn't done the full and became jealous of the leader. Gosh, that's happened so often. But became jealous of the leader and said, I can do this. God said, you're not my man. <laughs> Even when Miriam and Aaron came against Moses himself, chapter 12 of Numbers, he said, how is it that you took upon yourself to come against my man, Moses? I speak to him face to face and not in parables. What made you think you could do that? God was vexed. He said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. You notice he struck Miriam with leprosy, right? And she had to stay outside the camp for a week. Why just her? Aaron did it too. She was the ringleader. It was her thought that started it. So God said, I'm going to show you something. And he put her outside of the camp, had to stay outside the camp for a week until that leprosy was cured. Do you think she came back and came against Moses again, ever again? I don't read anywhere where she does it again. I think she's very mindful and respectful of Moses from then on. Very powerful thing, huh? But if you're God's man or woman, God has a protective thing around you. You may not believe so. There's a hedge around you. Do things get through the hedge? What if I was to tell you it gets through because you let it through? God has a protective hedge, but there's things you want. So those things you want have a greater desire at the time than your desire for God. So what does it say? You stick your hand inside that, that hedge. What does it say may happen to you? Snake may bite it. God's telling you when you make that thought in your mind that you're going to go through the hedge and not keep the protection of God, there are vipers there that are waiting that inject poison. Think about what I'm saying. Is it a thought? Is it the man of sin? Is it the, the evil thing that's always waiting for you to take that wrong step or to get distracted? Yeah. So, partial will. We don't want to do the partial will of God. So listen to this again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, resurrection day, time to resurrect, huh? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Have we presented our bodies, as you think it's talking about this one, or will manifest in this one, but what about the spiritual body that we carry? Should we, have we have been able to sacrifice that, the spiritual man within? Have you been able to sacrifice that to God? Because that's what he wants. You know this thing about the bulls and the goats and all that stuff? You go to Hebrews, you find out that God wasn't pleased with that. Came a stench in his nostrils. He didn't like it because it wasn't from the heart. It was something that you offered just to take care of something because knowing you were going back to it again. You know, the chief priest had to go in once a year and offer for the sins of the people, which brought them into a remembrance of sin over and over again, year after year. God didn't want that. He said the law was weak through the flesh because the flesh couldn't keep it. So he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come now. 
and I'm going to be in you, and this thing is going to be written in your heart. And that's what's going to make the difference. And now we're under grace and truth and not under our law. That is a big thing, isn't it? So when he was on the cross, he tear down that middle wall of enmity. Yes. Did he crucify the old man? Yes. Did he resurrect those that were uh, faithful, even under the law, those people that are waiting under the altar? Didn't they say that they saw them walking about the city after his resurrection? Yes. He did some great things and manifested some great things to show you that this is what he wants you to do. Give up your will. Give up your will and let's do it the way God wants to do it. Listen to this. A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He said, this is reasonable for you to do this. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So first he tells you to give up. He beseeches you. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Now he tells you what the problem is. The problem is the world. That's going to be your problem in order to do that. This is what he's saying. And be not conformed. He's continuing the thought. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the new renewing of your mind. So he's saying this is what your problem's going to be. It's going to be your world. And it's going to try to stop you from having your mind transformed. The things that you desire in the world. The things that are outward. The things we put so much trust in other than God. And what God wants you to understand is that none of those things will bring forth fruit. You know, there were, uh, in that parable of the, the seeds going into the ground, there's one that says um, when you take on the cares of this life, that it does not allow you to bring forth fruit to perfection. That's when your life is all wound up in the world. You can't bring fruit forth for perfection. It will never perfect or you start making some things, but it's corruptible. And so it won't come to perfection. It won't come to being the type of fruit it should be. And what are we talking about here? Are we talking about love, joy, peace, things like that? It will never, it'll be corrupt. It will not bring it to perfection. So there's something standing in the way. The one I think he says that on is cares of this life. The things that we care so much about. Can we resurrect the things that we care so much about, all from to God. Because remember, you're going to resurrect the good and the evil. Can we get those resurrected, present them before God, and let God destroy them? Yes, we can. That's what he said for us to do. Let's resurrect them. Remember, he said everything's going to be resurrected. Resurrected unto life eternal or resurrected to damnation. I believe that's how he says it. So can we bring it? Everything has to be resurrected. That's what people forget. Oh, God's not going to resurrect the evil. Yes, he is. <laughs> God's going to resurrect the evil for what purpose? Ceci, what do you think it might be? You were talking about the kids, that God would allow them to start. He has to help you get rid of those thoughts that distract and pull you away from him. And he can do it in a child. He can do it in anybody that has their mindset, Lord, I realize there are things in me. There's hidden things of darkness. What I want you to do is shine the light on it. Help us. This is resurrection day. Resurrect those things and bring them forth. And with you standing next to me, with the power that you've manifested by your spirit, we can overcome that thing. That's what God wants. That's what he wants. We're so afraid of it. I don't know why, but we're afraid of him bringing everything up and and saying, this is in you, this is in you, this is in you. And sometimes we don't admit it. We don't confess that those things are in us. What did Gary say? You like it? You love it? 
You want more of it. You're used to it. You want to go into it. But this is where we have to stop now. Listen to what it says. And be not conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's the part I like. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh-oh. So now there's going to be the proving of it. Can you do that? Have you proven enough to where you have fruit? Let's see. Let's see what's manifested in you. Think about the things that have been manifested in you, in your life. Can you have the fruit there? It's possible, isn't it? But think about what you have manifested. Is it possible to have the fruit of God there too? Most assuredly. We're addressing things like that. We're addressing things in people. We want to go forward and say what it is that God has shown us is bothering that individual. What is going on? The waters are being troubled, aren't they? So that you can see what it is that you need healing from. This is resurrection morning. You want to be resurrected out of that evil, that wickedness, and to be cleansed. What happened to the man that had the, uh, what was the land of the Gadarenes? Is that where it was at? The, the one that had so many devils in him? Yeah. And he came out and they put him in chains, guys. He broke chains. He cut himself and screamed, holler. People were afraid to go that way where he was. He lived in a cave and they were afraid to go the path that he was at right there because he would come out and scare them. And whatever. I mean, just so many devils. And when God addressed him, and, and I thought it was so cool how he addressed him. He said, well, what's your name? I'm Legion, but we are many. Kind of a little brag there a little bit, you know. Hmm. But then they had to watch out because Jesus said, did you come to, to get us before our time? Why are you here? What, what are you here to do? He was there to relieve that man from those devils. He, that was an appointment, guys, to show the power of God over all things. So, a legion. Some people say it's a 1,000 people in a legion, Roman legion. Some say 2,000. Some say 1,500. Whatever it is, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And that was all in that man. And he didn't start off with 1,500. He started off with one. And then he got another one. And then he got another one. And another one. Until it got up to where it was. Gosh, you got over 1,000, you got 1,500, you got 2,000 devils in you? Believed a lot of lies, didn't you? That's what it was. Believed a lot of them. And a lot of them were in his world being told to him. Given over to the man of sin. The man of sin just constantly. Remember, strong delusion and caused you to believe a lie. You think that guy was in a strong delusion? Did he believe all those lies? I'd say pretty much that's what happened, huh? And so can that happen to us, you think? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. You want a resurrection out of that. Did that man get a resurrection from that? How, how did the disciples see him when they came back? Remember after Jesus gave the devil's leave, went to the pigs, ran off the cliff, they choked in the ocean, all of that. At the end of everything, when they came back and saw where that man was, what was he doing? He had, remember, he was naked before. He used to be naked all the time, break the chains, cut himself, all that. He was clothed, and he was in his right mind, sitting next to Jesus, talking to him, and begging Jesus to do what? Remember? What do you want to do? Man, what a deliverance that guy went through. He said, can I come with you? 
Can I be with you? He said, no, I want you to do something special. I want you to go back to your town, your hometown, and tell about all the marvelous works that God has done for you. You'll do more for me by doing that than coming and following me right now. I have my 12 that follow. But if you do that, that'll be a ministry within itself. Go tell them about all the devils that were you. Tell them how you got that way. Tell them about the man that delivered you from it all. Tell them about it. Tell, tell them about the, the owners of the pigs that say, oh, please leave our shores. You cost us some money now by them pigs running up. <laughs> they were worried about what they lost. You see what I mean? But he said, tell them about that too. Tell them all of it because I'm going to come back here again at another time. And maybe through your evangelism, a lot of people will start to receive me. You never know. Isn't that cool? He had a better way for that man to go and exclaim and proclaim what God had done for him. Everybody knew who he was. Been doing that for years at that place where he was at. Just full of devils. Now you know what devil possessed of him. And Jesus delivered him. And now go tell him. And he did. Go tell him. Tell him what I did for you. Tell him how the devils had no power over me. None. That they were scared of me. And that they couldn't move until I gave them leave to go do what they were going to do. Tell them about that. I believe he did. I believe he did everything Jesus told him to do. He was very appreciative. It's like Peter and John going to the temple for prayer. I think it's the third chapter of Acts. And they're walking up the steps, and there's this, this lame man that's sitting there, and he's begging alms. You know, give me a little something. I'm poor. I'm a beggar. I'm a beggar because I, I'm, my legs are not good. Uh, I've been this way since the womb. And they said 40 years. So this is a 40-year-old man. And he was born that way. And his ankles had never received strength. The bones never knit together the way they were supposed to. But Peter and John going to the temple and pray, that's another big thing. Hmm. So even though the day of Pentecost has already happened, all of that's happened, where are they going? They're going to the temple to pray. Peter and John, look at what they were going to do. They kept up what? The relationship with Jesus. So they were going to the temple to pray. And they see this man on the steps. And he's begging alms. Give me something. Give me something. Peter said, Peter and gold have I none. Uh, what was it? Silver and gold. Silver and gold have I none. And he said, but what I do have, I can give you. Give me a hand. Hand in his right hand. Got up. Rise and walk. <laughs> can you imagine being there to see a man you see every day at the temple begging alms? And Peter and John look at him and said, look on us. They told him specifically, look on us. Quit looking at everything around you. Look on us right now. Very important things, the order that they did it. Go back and read it. Look on us. So even though he, you know how people beg, yeah, give me something, turn away. No, pay attention, look on us. They looked on him and he told him, he said, I don't have gold and silver, but such as I have, I will give to thee. He had Jesus. And he took his right hand and lifted him up. And then it said the man started leaping. <sighs> leaping and jumping, and yet trying to hold on to them. <laughs> Leaping and jumping, they entered into the temple. Can you imagine what commotion that caused? And they were entering the temple to have prayer. Peter and John were. They decided to go to prayer together. But look at what's happening. The guy is leaping and jumping and proclaiming and hollering and screaming. 
because he's been what? Said his ankle and leg bones received strength and he was able to get up and start leaping. That is a fantastic story in the third chapter of Acts. But it's not a story, it's real. The healing took place. Now the, catch this, now the disciples, the apostles are doing what? Now they're going to follow the acts of Jesus and carry them out in the book of Acts. That's why the book of Acts is so important. The very things that Jesus did, now they're going to do. It's starting off quick, isn't it? It got to the point where they called him in front of the court and said, how did you do this to this man? Remember? Peter and John, that's the whole deal. It raised a ruckus. But that man was happy. He was healed. He received the strength to his legs and his ankles. That was it for him. Only one person could have done that. That was Jesus. And Peter was right. Such as I have, I give to thee. What did he have? The Holy Ghost. And he touched them and lifted him up. Think about a happy man all his life, above 40 years, being in that condition. That lameness, you can't work that parable out in that lameness. He can't, but now he can. Very powerful stuff. This is what Jesus did for him. And it is Jesus working through his apostles. The apostles' doctrine is the doctrine of Jesus. The healing of the apostles did was the healings of Jesus. Because who's in them? Who's making them who they are? An apostle has the five-fold ministry within him. So he's going to carry it out now. Wow. What a healing. The guy was so excited and brought the court in and all that stuff. He said, well, how did you do this to this man? And then Peter goes through the story. Well, you had Jesus here, and you crucified him, and you didn't pay attention to what he was trying to tell you. And he said this was going to happen, and he said that we were going to do the same things and all of this, you know, he said. So you didn't pay attention to him. So, but this man stands whole before you now because of Christ, not because of anything we did. Isn't that powerful? Because of Christ. And they took counsel again, left him for a little bit, took counsel together and came back. He said, man, we got to stop these guys from doing that. We got to stop them. Came back and threatened them. We don't want you to teach or preach in his name anymore. They immediately took on to that. Wait a minute. So they weren't happy for the guy receiving his healing. Something they could not do. So they weren't happy for somebody that had been lame all their life to be able to walk and leap and, and have joy. They, they didn't think about that, did they? That was out of the picture. What they cared about was how those guys did it and how come everybody was coming to them. That was the problem. Is that a fence you think may be working there? Uh, yeah, you think pride is working? Uh, yeah. And that's what he did. And the man told him. <laughs> wow. But what happened was Peter and John got to tell him. Went through that whole history of Israel almost and came back up. Said, you killed the one that they sent. You killed him. But now we're going to show forth what he was doing because he's in us. And guess what? They threatened him and said, okay, go back. Don't do that no more. Uh, where did they go? They went right back to the marketplaces and the temples and stuff. Did exactly what they did before. Then there's another incident later on where they bring him, and that's the one where they beat him, trying to make him stop. Remember? said, don't preach and teach in his name. But this first one was just Peter and John. They let him go, but they threatened him. The second time it happened, there were more apostles there. Brought him before him and beat him. And they rejoiced because that they could suffer for the name of Christ by being beaten. Isn't that cool? 
doesn't make any difference what you do. I am going to proclaim Jesus. That's it. And the miracles are going to keep coming. And the things that he said were going to happen, they're going to happen. And what's going to happen now is that now we are partakers. Now we are apostles. Now we're the angels of God manifested in the earth, going forth and producing those things that the Christ said we would produce. He said, I was with you, but now I shall be in you. He's performing the works of his father. Isn't that cool? And we have it. So uh, do you think you have it? Are you going to have it? You can. You can. Same thing. God's trying to do that with each one of us. He's trying to lead us by his spirit. Let, let's let have spirit resurrect today. Let his spirit resurrect in you because it may be dormant right now because your will has been partial and you haven't yielded it to it. Let's yield all of our will to it and let's see if it resurrects and let the spirit lead and guide us in all things. That's how it's going to work, isn't it? So offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. They used to offer dead animals before, didn't they? Didn't they do that? No life in them. And their blood, the blood of bulls and goats, it couldn't do anything. It could atone, but it couldn't do anything. But now the blood of Christ? Hmm, is that a little different? The blood of Christ can raise you up again. And he can heal that sin-sick soul and help you to follow his spirit onto eternity. That's a powerful thing. He wants to do that for us now. So how many are willing to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice? Everything God says to do, start at the first works. Start being obedient with the first works. Everything. And you said, I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice. My body, my mind. Remember the renewing of your mind. Offering my mind, my body, everything to be the way Jesus is. I want the Father to work in me like he did in Jesus. You say he's your Father, that means his spirit is in you because he created you, right? So I want the same thing to happen to me. I'll be obedient to you. I'll do what you ask me to do. But I want that. The zeal for them was so great that they wanted what Jesus had. And did the day of Pentecost give it to them? Oh, yeah, it did. And did they go out and start exercising? it? Yes, they did. That's a powerful thing. So Resurrection Day, I want to be resurrected into the kingdom of God to do everything God did when he was on his form here on earth because he said we can do it. He said, greater works than these shall you do. What? How could I do anything greater than what you just did? Listen to what I'm saying. You will. You will. That's powerful. And did they? Book of Acts, they turned the world upside down, man. Paul established so many churches. That's just an amazing thing. Brought the, the action of the churches together, set the church in order so that it's continuing on even to this day. Look at what was done. So my thing is, let's be resurrected. I want to be resurrected into the kingdom of God. That's what I want. Everything. Lord, I'll offer my body as a living son. What's in me, help me to yield it all up to you every bit of it, and that'll be our really true resurrection. Anybody got anything for me today about what I said? Go ahead, Seth. Uh, as you were talking about the living sacrifice, um, it kind of dawned on me. Um, I know it says in the Bible to be carnally minded is death. 
But when you were talking about offering up yourself as a living sacrifice, and then it says holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, I was thinking the sacrifice that he's talking about that, that you can offer, the word of God that you receive and believe would have to be alive in you in order for you to be able to give that sacrifice, correct? That's true. So what did he say about that? What did he say about, about offering unto him? Holy and acceptable. It says holy and acceptable. But the thing is, is that um, the sacrifices before were dead. But you, you had a good point there. So now there's the living sacrifice. And what are we going to sacrifice to him? What is it that he wants sacrificed? All of our thoughts. All of our thoughts and all of that. And really, all the wicked too. The wicked. He wants to have that offered unto him. Here's the scripture that lets you know that. Every man's work is going to be tried by every man's work is going to be tried by fire what is that fire is it coming after the wicked most assuredly every man's work will be tried by fire if it's wood hay and stubble your work's going to get burned up man because that's what you established it on but what if it's gold and silver and precious jewels it'll be even purer by the time he's done with it isn't that right so every man's work is going to be tried by fire. Fire what? The fire which is the word of God. It's going to try it. It's going to be active by the spirit. It's going to try everything in you. But God wants to do that. Because by doing, trying it, all that stuff that's wood, hay, and stubble, all that stuff you concentrate on that you think you need, all that stuff that's in the world, that's what's the wood, hay, and stubble. All the things you try to keep, you're producing something, but it's wood, hay, and stubble. What is wood? Isn't that really the flesh of man? The hay is the grass that fadeth away. Even talked about the flowers fading away, huh? Stubble, isn't that the stuff that they throw up and try to get the, the wind to carry away the stubble so they can keep the true seed? He, all the stuff that's worthless. He said, we'll get rid of it. And then now we'll have some good stuff. I'm going to try your work by fire and let's see how that works. Are we being tried by the word of God right now? Yes, we are. Keep that in your mind. He's doing that. Fire. Sometimes I talk to Pastor Dan, and we agree in a thought. He'll send me a one-word text back, all capital letters. Fire! <laughs> I'm serious. It's really funny how he does that. I will say something back and forth. He said, oh, that's it, bro. And then he'll send one more text just by itself. Fire! <laughs> With an exclamation point. I think that is so cool. Because now we're agreeing in the fire, in the things that are being done. That's it, bro. We're seeing it. Good stuff. I love it. 